Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I've got a fun toxicology case for you today. Uh, what's going on with this trembling, shaking dog? And why did its two housemates uh, die suddenly? What are we going to do about it? How concerned do we need to be in the future? Are we having good conversations with pet owners about what to do when they have the uh, insect home protection guy come into their house. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tina Wismer. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. I love having you on here. You've been on a number of times. You are my go-to for uh, toxicity questions that I have when I'm losing sleep about my patients eating things. You are the person that I reach out to. For those who do not know you, uh, Dr. Tina Wismer is the Senior Director of the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. So uh, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I think, yeah, sorry. I keep, I keep thinking. We already did that. That's we right. did that already. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's, let's move on to the next session. Uh, I, I invited you here because uh, I saw an article. It was actually in uh, Today's Veterinary Nurse magazine, which is a great magazine. Uh, they, do, they do good work. I enjoy a lot of their stuff. And they had a case that scared the willies out of me. And I wanted to get some more information on it and get your thoughts on one, treatment of this thing, but then two, also like, what are the risks and how likely am I to have to deal with it? And just get a more clear view of it. So um, the case that they talk about that I want to put to you presented like this, there is a pet owner and she went to school for the day. And she came home and her three dogs were acting normally. So she has a Labrador, she has a Chihuahua, and she has a Jack Russell. So a big dog and two little dogs. And they're all acting normally. And then she, uh, after, uh, she took some for a walk. And when she comes back, it's been about two hours since she got home. And the big dog is acting normal, but the two small dogs are not. They are... Um, they are panting and they have both vomited multiple times and then they had a stiff gait in their hind end as they walked around. The vomitus was described as, um, as frothy fluid with a red tinge and then about one hour after they started showing signs, both of the small dogs had died and the bigger dog was starting to show the same signs uh the 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 stiff gate the, the mostly it was it was the panting and, and appeared to be in distress and so this dog was rushed into uh, emergency care and was thankfully saved the diagnosis that was given was chlorfenipure poisoning and i just want to start to talk about that and what that means uh starting at the high level what is chlorfenopyr? So chlorfenopyr is an insecticide. Um, it is labeled for use on both agricultural products and for in the household. Okay. And we most commonly see this where? Like, like how do, I mean, how do, how do, how do companion animal vets tend to see this? How, how is this used in our, you know, in our households? Is this something that people go down to Home Depot and pick up and they're just sort of spraying around the house? Uh, it sounds like this is sort of the next level up from that. 
Right. So this can only be used by licensed pest control operators. So this would be the company that you would pay to come in and spray your house for termites, or if you had a severe roach infestation, you're not going to be able to go to Home Depot or Walmart and buy this yourself. Okay. Um, how often does this happen? I mean, I, you know, I, I get, I get my house sprayed for termites because I live in the woods. Um, it, you know, is this, is this, is this a common occurrence? Uh, is it, is it fairly uncommon? Uh, how, how concerned about this type of toxicity should I be? Sure. So fortunately, it's pretty rare. Uh, this product has been on the market um, since about 2001. Um, and we see the occasional uh, animal that gets um, exposed and has problems, but it's not very common. Well, why, why do we think it's uncommon? Is, it, is, is this type of chemical uh, not used really widely by the guys who are spraying? Is it dose dependent? And so most pets don't reach a dose that is going to cause clinical signs? Is it, is it, is it were these two, were all three of these dogs just the weird cases that had a reaction? Like, so yeah, what's your, what's your take on, on why we don't see this more commonly? Right. Uh, number one, I don't think it's very commonly used uh, as okay. compared to our other like pyrethrin-based products, uh, which we know are quite safe around mammals. Um, I also think that most people remove their animals from the household when this person is coming over to spray. Um, all of our cases have been animals that were inside the household when the spraying was occurring. Okay. Um, is there anything that on the surface level, uh, I could see, or I could advise pet owners to see. So if pet owners call me and they say, hey, I'm getting ready to get my house sprayed. Is there anything I should be looking for in uh, the pest control guys? Because I have gotten those questions a number of times. Is there any red flags or anything that, that I should just put out to them and say, hey, here's something to look out for? Right. So most pest control operators will give you the name of the product that they're using, uh, things like EPA registration numbers. So you can check and see, right, how safe is this to use around pets? Also, the most important thing, remove them from the environment. Yeah, no matter um, what. Yeah, and don't bring them back until you can't smell the product anymore. Okay, and that's a good, that's a, that's a good rule. So if you can't smell it, if you can't smell it, then it's probably okay. Am I, am I paraphrasing that appropriately? Yes, yes. Awesome. All right, sweet. Okay. Um, what do we tend to see on clinical presentation in these dogs? So I, I told you sort of what the pet owner uh, sort of said that, that she saw. Uh, what other signs do we see beyond that? Are there things that we're going to find on admission to the hospital that maybe the pet owner would have seen? Yeah. Um, these guys tend to have pretty uh, impressive tremors, muscle tremors. Um, so then we get secondary hyperthermia, right? Your body temperature okay. goes up. Um, and some of these guys will also develop pulmonary edema. What? What temperature levels are you talking about? When you say the temperature goes up, because I see a lot of nervous dogs that come in at 102.5. Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about 104, 105? Uh, we're talking these guys can present at like 107 or 108. Okay. So, yeah. badness. 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 All right. That's that's super helpful. Okay. That way I won't be like, oh my God, he's 103. Is this... <laughs> no, not close enough here. <laughs> what... Uh, what other presentation? So this is definitely, clearly, you know, we've got muscle fasciculation, stiff gait, vomiting, uh, panting, uh, things like that. It, it, this this is going to look like a toxicity at some point. What else looks this way? What are my other differentials that I want to separate this from? Sure. Um, the one thing this looks very common uh, or very very similar to is hops 
uh, toxicosis. So if you're home brewing beer, um, dogs that get into the hop pellets or they get into the hops flowers that are in your compost pile will present the same way. They'll be extremely hyperthermic. They'll be panting. Okay. And that's, that's, a, that's a question I don't have in my repertoire for veterans. Have you, have you been <laughs> brewing beer? Right. Um, no, I. It's pretty yeah. popular now. <laughs> I mean, yes, in a way. But if I have you, okay, people. Yeah, I just, I. That's going to get me some weird looks from people when I quit right. as I race him to the back. <laughs> have you brewed any beer? Uh, tell me now. And if so, can you can you bring me some? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If not, that's good. And if you yes, that's also good because I'm going to need one. <laughs> um. Okay. So. So my main differential is hops from beer brewing. So have you, have you had any insecticide sprayed? Uh, you don't brew beer, yeah. do you? That's those are two. Those are two good questions. Okay. Uh, so ba- basically, same muscle fasciculations, uh, high body temperature, vomiting, things like that. I'm going to see in both those cases. Yes. What am I going to see on on my diagnostic test? Is there anything I'm going to see on the blood work that's going to tip me off? Either that that I'm looking at at these two, uh, either hops or um, chlorfenopyr or um, or there's going to differentiate them. Am I going to see on, on radiographs? Walk me through my diagnostics if you don't mind. Yeah. So on blood work, you're really not going to see anything initially, right? Everything's going to be normal. As the process goes on, things like CK are going to rise, right? Because you've got a lot of muscle activity. Um, and then we can potentially see, you know, coagulopathies because of, you know, high body temperature, DIC. Um, but nothing initially. It's going to be completely normal. Um, radiographs, once again, also going to look pretty benign. So, so the main way I guess what I'm hearing from you is clinical history is, is, your, uh, is your guiding history. light. Like that's, that's going to make it or yes. break it. When the pet owner mm-hmm. says to you, yeah, we had the guy in to spray the house today uh, while I was at work. Um, how big of a blaring siren is that for you? Is that a big let, red flashing, um, this is an emergency? Or is that kind of a, mm, we should, we're definitely going to need to look into that. We're going to need to take this seriously. Yeah. How, how big of, a, of an, how many alarm fire is this for you? Right. So with most insecticides, um, that are contacted by the inhalation route, we're going to see signs within a couple of hours. Okay. Um, so we're going to also ask about time frame. Um, but if we've got clinical signs that fit, right, we've got tremors, we've got hyperthermia, then yeah. yes, this is your nine alarm fire. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure how many alarms we could have. I, I thought that I thought I five know. was the I most, but maybe no, nine. If it's a nine <laughs> alarm, I'm like, that's bigger fire than I had even thought. I love it. I, I, Infinity. I got it. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I got to the. I'm just going to be honest. My knowledge of the alarm system that firemen use is, is very limited. So when you said nine, I was like, holy crap. Zero. Uh, yeah. Zero. I have no idea. Zero. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's got to be a better, there's got to be a better medical way of describing this than, than in, in a fire alarm categories. Okay. All right. Moving on. I get the point. I get the point. We're not sleeping on this. So, uh, no. so we're not going to sleep on this. How do we treat it? Uh, this dog presents and I need to take action. Um, what are my, so what are my main concerns as I do this and, and how am I going to treat this? Sure. So we want to get our body temperature down. Okay. So you're going to use things like, you know, IV fluids, you know, wet the fur, uh, cool fan. Um, and then for vomiting, pick your favorite antiemetic, right? For tremors, you're going to use methocarbamol, right? Your great muscle relaxant. And then these guys actually respond pretty well to lipids. Okay. 
Tell me more about that. They respond pretty well to lipids. Walk, walk sure. me through that. That's not, that's not something I reach for a whole lot. Sure. So when we're talking about lipids, we're talking about the 20% solution that you use for um, partial parenteral nutrition, right? Okay. So you're feeding them through the vein. So the thought is that we have certain toxins, including chlorphenopyr, that are highly lipid soluble. So the thought is if we give dogs lipids, we're going to bind the toxin within the bloodstream and therefore it can't get out and it can't affect the receptors and cause clinical signs. Okay. So um, talk to me about a dosing regime and, and, and sort of a time frame for this, if you don't mind. Sure. So we start out with a bolus of about one and a half mils per kilo. Okay. And you can give that over about, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. And then we drop down to a constant rate infusion of 0.5 mils per kilo per minute. And we're going to do that for another 30 to 60 minutes. Right. Okay. The big thing is if you've got a small dog, right, we don't want a volume overload. So yeah. make sure you go on the low end. Um, and then we're going to stop our constant rate infusion for about four hours. We're going to then check and see if we're lipemic. If we're lipemic, we're going to hold off. But if we're no longer lipemic and our animal is still symptomatic, then they get another dose of lipids. What kind of time frame am I looking for to see a change or uh, ideally a resolution of symptoms? Like if I'm seeing muscle fasciculations and things like that, and I start to give some lipids and things, is this a 30 minutes in and I start to see improvements? Is this a longer play? Uh, is this magic where you start to, you know, like it's like, a, you know, deworming or a blood transfusion in a hookworm puppy where they just open their eyes and feel better? Like, wh what are we talking about? Sure. With something like chlorphenopyr, uh, typically it just takes like one dose of lipids. Okay. Um, so usually by the time we finish that, you know, one to two hour time frame, they're much better. Um, okay. If we're using lipids to treat something like marijuana or um, avermectins, things like uh, ivermectin or moxidectin, then you may need to give multiple doses of lipids before we see an improvement. Okay. And then what is the, you know, what is the ultimate official sort of cause of death in these cases? So they can either die from, you know, severe hyperthermia okay. or they can die from pulmonary edema. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to pay special attention to, to lung sounds, things like that as, as we're treating and just try to, to manage to that. Exactly. Yes. Okay. All right. Any other pearls of wisdom for me? Any uh, words of advice uh, as I would wade into something like this? Any mistakes I really want to avoid making? Um, I think the important thing is to keep a pretty close eye on these guys for the first couple of hours that you have them. Um, if they're going to die, they tend to die pretty quickly. Okay. Um, you know, if we can get that temperature back down quickly, then they do well. Otherwise, then we have to manage, you know, DIC and no one wants to do that. No, that's, yeah, that's let's not do that. <laughs> awesome. Dr. Wismer, thank you so much for being here. Tina, I appreciate you so much. I really, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for inviting me. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of, out of it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button. If you're uh, checking out the podcast, the nicest thing you can do is leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. It's how people find the show. It means the world to me. Guys, thank you so much for being here. I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed your time with me. I hope to see you again soon. Take care of yourselves, all right? Be well. Bye.